You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Father, we come to you so thankful that you've spoken to us so that we can hear from you. You've spoken to us in your word that you're speaking to us right now as you come here by the presence of your spirit. And we do invite you, God, to come to show us Jesus, to, to allow us to see in amazement the redemption that he has already begun, but also to prepare for his return. We pray that you would do that work in our hearts, do that work in our lives, do that work in this world, that we would be a people prepared to receive Jesus. And we ask this in his name, amen. You know, one of the best parts about Christmas is the preparation for it. I don't know if you're like me, uh, but I love Christmas time, I love Advent, I love kind of the, the build-up to the day itself. Uh, I almost love the build-up just as much as, as Christmas Day. And uh, maybe you're like that. My son's like that, Eli. He loves to decorate and kind of get everything ready. Maybe you love getting the house decorated. You love thinking about the meal on Christmas Day and, and mapping all of that out. What are you going to do? Who are you going to be with? All of that sort of a thing. Maybe you're all about the presents and like, oh, I'm going to get this person this thing or that thing. And, and then comes Christmas Eve, right? And you come, of course, to our service, as I just invited you, uh, and, and you come with your friends and family, uh, and, then, and then it's the anticipation for the next day, and all of this is leading up to Christmas Day itself. All of it is preparation. I remember as a kid on Christmas Eve, my sister and I would sleep on sleeping bags in the living room. On the floor, uh, we had a big like stone fireplace, and my dad would set a fire at the beginning of the night, and then he would wake up all night long and come out there and keep the fire going. I got, he must have not slept very well on Christmas Eve. Um, but then we would wake up in the next morning, and we would see the sun would be rising, and light would be pouring into the living room there, and then we would continue preparing for the rest of the day. The rest of the day, we'd eat our cinnamon rolls, which I'm pretty sure, if I remember right, were those Pillsbury ones that come in like a can. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> this is the 80s and 90s. It's just the reality of the situation at the time. And, uh, and, then we would, uh, and then we would read the Christmas story together, and then we would open presents. All this is just kind of this, this preparing and remembering Jesus coming. And this was really this morning as the sunlight came in, it was the dawn of a new day. And in a similar way, John's ministry, the, uh, John the Baptist, his ministry was like sunrise at dawn. In fact, the text is going to tell us that in just a moment. John was the opening act of the greatest act of redemption in all of human history. John was the beginning of God's new work of redemption where everything was about to change. And John and his coming causes us all to have to ask the question, are we prepared for the coming of the Messiah? Are we prepared for the coming of the Messiah? Let's look at this story now, beginning again in chapter 1, verse 57. It says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. 
And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Now, you may remember that the first week of Advent, the first week of this series, we looked at the beginning of this story, and we saw Zechariah and Elizabeth, this older couple who was barren, and God sent an angel to them, an angel Gabriel, to tell them that they were going to conceive and they were going to have a son, and this child would be very, very special. He would be the one who was sent to prepare a way for the Messiah. And his name, the angel said, was to be John. This is John the Baptist. And this, of course, was all happening not only after decades and decades of anticipation on Zechariah and Elizabeth's part, but after thousands and thousands of years of waiting on Israel's part, waiting for the Messiah to come. And this child's new life was a sign that God was doing something new. And at this point in the story, we learned that everyone around them in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life had heard about this pregnancy now. Last we heard, she was kind of keeping it under wraps, but now everybody knows, and of course knows that the child has been born, that this angel had promised, and just as the angel had promised, there's a ton of joy going around. Everybody's excited and praising God and and celebrating God's mercy together. And so the family comes together and all the neighbors around them as well for the circumcision of this child. And you guys are like, that is so weird. Hold on, everybody's going to be there for the circumcision of this child to watch this happen? This is really odd, right? And it is weird to us, of course, but got to remember in that culture, and even to this day in Jewish culture, this was a really big deal. This circumcision was a sign that this child was going to be not just a part of this family, but a part of God's family. And, and it was also based on the command that God had given to Israel. And so they're, they're living in obedience as they come together to celebrate this event. And, and it was, as tra- tradition also held, time for the child to be named. And so everyone assumes this is the firstborn son. What else are you going to name him? He's going to be Zachariah Jr., right? But Elizabeth goes, you know what happens when you assume things, guys? You know what happens when you assume things. Yep. Okay, I don't need to finish that. Uh, She goes, no, 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 no. His name is going to be John. And we'll come back now to uh, the group's response to Elizabeth in just a moment. But first, we need to recall what's been going on with Zechariah. You guys remember what was happening with Zechariah when we last saw him. He was not too excited about God doing something new. He had kind of come to this place where he had lost hope in God. He could not possibly believe that God was going to do something that was this good. He couldn't believe that God was going to bring the Messiah, that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son. And because of his disbelief, the angel Gabriel tells him, he says, you're going to be unable to speak or hear until these things take place, were his exact words. And so if you're Zechariah and you're holding your eight-day-old son, you're kind of thinking to yourself, since you still can't speak or hear, you're going, what exactly did you mean, uh, uh, Gabriel? 
when you said these things take place, I would have thought that these were the things that would have had to take place. Why can't I speak or hear? What are we waiting for? Elizabeth has been pregnant. That thing took place, right? She's given birth. That thing took place. What are we waiting for? I would, I would have thought that the moment that John was born, at least, that this discipline that God had put on Zechariah would finally be over. But there's a missing element. There's something else that needs to happen before Zechariah is able to speak. We see it in this next set of verses, beginning in verse 61. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. They couldn't, they couldn't make sense of this. And immediately as he did this, his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke. And what did he do? What were the first words out of his mouth? Blessings to God, praises to God. And fear came on all their neighbors. They were afraid, maybe because they thought Zechariah was going to be mute for a, for a long, long time. I'm not sure why. They saw God working in this moment. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Remember, that's sort of like the, the, the podunk hick town of Judea, right? And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And so for nine months, Zechariah couldn't speak or hear and the moment that he regains his voice is the moment where he finally steps out into faith and shows that he believes Gabriel's message. He believes that this was true. And he says, this child needs to be called John. So he, he names his son and, and everyone who is around is struck with fear. And though they're struck with fear, they understand. They, they get the message. They're like, okay, fine, fine, fine. We won't call him Zechariah Jr., Gosh, you guys, fine, we'll call him John. And, and what do you think Zechariah does next? He's just praised God, right? That's the first thing that came out of his mouth. But now he's so excited that he can hear and speak. He's so excited that he has this, this son who has finally arrived. He's so excited that the Messiah is coming that he bursts into song. It's like a scene out of La La Land or, or Hamilton or something like that, except for it's way better because it's not those, those lyrics, no. It's, although those are some pretty well-written lyrics, I'll, I'll be honest. But no, 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 this is way better. This is way better. These are God's words. Zechariah is going to speak words straight from God. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 67. And he prophesies, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. This is in the fulfillment of things that God said would happen all those years ago, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us 
that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah is praising God because God is being faithful to his covenant. God is doing what he said he would do. And he's absolutely thrilled. The Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. And Zechariah says that God is, has raised up this horn of salvation. Did you notice that in verse 69? The word horn there is not talking about a trumpet. Okay? It's not a trumpet kind of a horn. It's more like a ram or rhino horn. This horn is a symbol of power and of strength. Now, you see, most of Israel at this time, when Zechariah was saying this, they would have assumed that the Messiah would come in strength and in military might to come and save them only from their kind of temporal human enemies like God had done with Pharaoh in the Old Testament, for example. And, of course, they're thinking about that in the present day, in their present day, and they're going, who's the parallel to Pharaoh? It's, it's Rome. It's, it's Caesar. There are oppressive enemies. But in the Bible, we learn that wicked men like Pharaoh or, or Caesar, they're, they're merely representative of a greater evil within the hearts of every human being on the planet. They're just representatives of all of us. Yes, Israel needed temporal saving. Yes, they were under the oppressive hand of Rome, but we all needed eternal saving. We all needed eternal saving. We all needed to be saved from our sin and idolatry and be reconciled back to God and to one another. And this horn of salvation from the house of David, as, as he has said, would be do just that. Jesus would do just that. He would, he would be a savior like no other king before or since. And so Zechariah sees this truth now with absolute clarity. And he sees not only that God is doing that, but he sees why God is working this redemption through the Messiah. Verses 74 and 75 said that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God would save the world through the Messiah so that we might enjoy this reconciled relationship with him. And through that reconciliation, we could worship him and we could serve him all our days. But before this Savior came, something else would yet need to happen. God's people would need to be prepared. And so Zechariah's song now shifts from speaking mainly about the Messiah to speaking mainly about His Son, beginning in verse 76. Zechariah's son, that is. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet 
into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So at the very tail end there in verse 80, it's sort of fast-forwarding into John's earthly ministry after he grows up and becomes an adult, and, and all of that begins. But the rest of that was sort of looking down the lens of time into the future, anticipating what John's ministry would be like. Zechariah here is, is giving greater clarity to what John's job would be. Zechariah had heard from the angel what John's purpose was going to be, but now he sees it with much, much greater clarity. His child's only eight days old. <laughs> And he can see it so clearly. Can you imagine holding a baby, maybe it's your own child, and being able to look at that child and see their future? That's what's happening with Zechariah here. But it's, but it's even more than that. It's, it's Zechariah seeing into the future that God has planned, and it's from God himself revealing it. And so Zechariah says in, in verse 76 that John would prepare the way for the Messiah. In verse 77, he, he describes that, that he would give knowledge of salvation to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins. That was John's job. He was to give knowledge of salvation to God's people through the forgiveness of their sins. John was meant to lead people to repentance, to repentance. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. It's meant to not just be something internalized. It's meant to lead to everything that you do and everything around you to change. How does that prepare a people? How does repentance prepare a people for the Messiah. Well, think about this for a minute. If the Messiah was going to come and save his people, they would actually need to want to be saved, right? They, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, be able to be saved if they were not interested in being saved. They would have to actually want to live under the, this king's rule, this Messiah's rule. They would have to actually want to change the way that they live. And in the same way, we must prepare ourselves for the coming of the Messiah. Here's what I mean. You know that song that we sing so often around Christmas time, Joy to the World, right? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. By the way, this, this song is not a Christmas song, even though we sing it at Christmas. It's an Advent song. So it's not about Jesus' first coming. It's about His second coming. And that's why it says the Lord is come. That means the Lord has come. The Lord is come. Let every heart... Prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Let every heart prepare him room. That's repentance. That's repentance. That's the spirit of Advent and Christmas. It's not just little cute baby Jesus in the manger, you know? It's not just the warm fuzzies that we feel around the holidays. No, no, no. It's actually welcoming the king of the earth by making this place ready for his rule. Now, we don't quite get this because we're, we're an anti-monarchist republic, amen? 
That's just what we're about as America. But if you think of the few countries on earth who still have a monarchy and they actually revere that monarch, they get this a lot better than we do. It makes perfect sense to them. So if you were to ask a Brit, you'd say, well, what are you going to do? What would you do if the queen were coming to stay at your house? They'd say, well, I'd get our house in order and I'd do it right away. They'd do whatever they could to make it hospitable for royalty, right? And the thing is, is that Jesus is royalty beyond anything in this world, anything that we could possibly imagine because he's God in human flesh. That's this king that we worship. That's this king that we're waiting for. And his holiness is so profound, there is nothing that we could ever do to fully prepare for his arrival. And yet, repentance is the one thing that we are actually called to do to prepare for his arrival. It's what John focused on in his job of preparing the people for the Messiah. Not just repentance, of course. He also did baptism, which is his, hence his name, right? John the Baptist. So why was John sent to lead people to repentance? And why was, must we also prepare ourselves? Well, verse 78 told us, it said, because of the tender mercy of our God. Did you know that? God is merciful to sinners. Did you know that, sinner? Now, if you're part of the church, you've heard that a thousand times, but have you let it sink into your heart? God is merciful to sinners. He's merciful to you. He's merciful to me. He's merciful to the whole world. And maybe today you're, you're plagued by the guilt of your past, or the guilt of your present. Maybe you've completely made a shipwreck of your life, or maybe your life is in full order and you're just committing acceptable sins today. All of us need this good news. God is merciful to sinners. Don't don't, uh, try and stuff the guilt. Accept it so that you can also accept this good news that meets you where you're at. God is merciful to sinners. Though His mercy won't go on forever, now is the time of mercy. Now is the time to step into the mercy of God by stepping away from our old ways of sin. This this is telling us that the sunrise has dawned upon us. Now, we know that one day that sun will set, that Jesus will return in judgment. But until that day, we are to step into the light while we still can. Stop sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. That time has passed. We're invited to step into the light where we will now be able to see clearly will be even able to see our way onto this path that it describes in verse 79, this path of peace. What's that path of peace? Doesn't that sound kind of vague and kind of, uh, I don't know what that, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Well, I'm glad that you asked, what, what is the path 
of peace. It's, uh, it, it, it's actually one of two paths. The other one is sort of being described here as a path of, of darkness, right? So imagine that you're standing at a fork on a trail, and there are two ways that we can go. One side is, is all of that darkness, that's Satan, sin, idolatry, it's, it's bondage and slavery, both spiritual and physical, it's, it's death, it's destruction, it's devastation, it's the conflict that we experience, it's broken marriages and families, it's unjust workplaces, it's racial and political divisions, it's war, it's oppressive governments, it's all that darkness that we see around us every day and in us every day. But remember, it's a, it's a fork at that trail, and there are two ways that we can go, and the other path is lit by the light of Christ. It's the path of peace, as verse 79 says. And His light guides us onto that path. And this peace that's being described here, it's not just the absence of war. It's not just, oh, I feel good inside. No, it includes those things, but it's much, much more. It's this biblical view of peace. The Hebrew word, my friends, is shalom. Yeah, (laughs) most of you guys know that. Why don't you say that with me? Shalom, yes. And and it is just a beautiful, beautiful word. Here's what Cornelius Plantinga describes it as. He says, Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace, but man, it means so much more than mere peace of mind or ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing. That means everyone, everywhere. Wholeness and restoration, a rich state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens the doors of relationship and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Oh, Doesn't that sound great? The way things ought to be. Don't you just love that? So we're standing at this fork in the trail, you and me and all of the world, society. And we have to ask the question, which path will we step onto today? Which path will we invite others to step onto today. See, friends, the Messiah has come. Jesus came and and He fulfilled all of these prophecies that we've been reading about. He brought salvation through the forgiveness of sins, which He purchased for us with His own life. And Jesus rose from His bloody death and He ascended into heaven where He today is being merciful. He's showing that God is merciful. He's mercifully waiting for the world to ready itself for His return. And we don't know when that'll be. That could be in a couple of hours, you know, like in the middle of the Seahawks game later on today. It could be in 2,000 more years. We just don't know. 
But are you ready? Are you ready? Are we ready? Let every heart prepare him room. Have you repented of your sins? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and King of the world? You're invited to do that today. Have you exchanged uh, your life for His? Have you changed which path you are seeking to walk on? Are you living for Him today? And this, this peace, this shalom that He is inviting us to. You see, the light of redemption has dawned. It's here. God's tender mercy and His forgiveness of sin, it's being given to people right now, today. It's being given to you and to me, and we have this opportunity to partner with Him as He transforms this broken world. You can see that sunrise of salvation peek through the shadow of Jesus' cross and this, this pathway in front of us. We can see it being lit, and this fork in the trail, it's in, it's in front of us. And we're being invited to say, what darkness is in me, what darkness is in this world that we need to remove, we need to cast aside and get this place ready for Jesus to come. As John prepared Israel for the Messiah, we must prepare our hearts for the Messiah. And that might still feel abstract. I want to give you two questions, reflection questions, to try and help this get a little more grounded in our hearts and in our lives. And so many of you, so many of us are already on this path of peace. So many of us are already, we've repented of our sin. And yet, repentance is, is all of life. It's this ongoing process. But maybe God has done all this incredible work in your life that you can just celebrate. And that first question is, is for that purpose. What is different because we're preparing for the coming of Jesus? What is already different, but yet there's still work to do? What would be different if we were preparing for His coming? What is yet to be repented of? What is yet to be worked for in this world to help heal God's broken world? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for sending Jesus to us. Jesus, we celebrate your coming as we anticipate Christmas Day and just, I don't know, what is it, less than a week away. Jesus, we, we anticipate your birth and, and celebrating your birth, but Jesus, help this time of celebrating your birth lead us to prepare for your return. Help us to prepare this place for your kingdom rule, to welcome you as you so deserve, our King, our Savior, our Messiah. Jesus, we love you. We want to be ready for you. We ask this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. 
Thanks for listening.